Ladies and gentlemen, we are live for MMA Sucker Radio. This is MMA Fight Music Producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. I can't believe this can happen to me. Suck suckers. No, do not adjust the vertical. Do not adjust the horizontal. It's me, Justin Pirro, stepping in for Jeremy Brand, hosting this week's edition of Sucker Radio. Jeremy is more than a little under the weather this week, so I'm stepping in to... uh, take care of things and to make sure that you get the news and opinion you want so how about the ufc 184 how about that ronda rousey you know tying a record breaking a record and setting a new record tied the record for fastest submission in ufc history broke the record for fastest finish in a ufc title fight and set a new record for being in the first title fight with no strikes landed. How cool is that? That we get to see that, that we're privy to that level of talent. You know, people talk about John Jones, you know, she's that same kind, Rousey's that same kind of superlative talent. You know, when we get to watch her or we get to watch Jones or like when we got to watch Anderson Silva in his prime. Those are superlative talents that we are lucky to be able to get to see in the sport of mixed martial arts. Other big news. Did you hear about the UFC going to Melbourne? Yes, they're going to Melbourne, Australia for UFC 193 because the state government there finally lifted their ban on MMA in a cage. Yes, while the state of New York in the U.S. is stupid enough to ban professional MMA, the idiots in the state of Victoria, in Australia, they kept MMA, but they banned it in a cage because they thought it was more brutal, completely ignoring the fact that sometimes if you're shooting a takedown, you can go through the ropes and fall out to the floor. Wow. Yeah, they're bright. But, uh, hey, what can you say? They're an interesting nation over there, and, you know, Aussies, Justin Foe, Soapalele, all you guys over there. I'm only saying this because Australia did have a special origin in that, you know, it basically started as a prison colony. But, hey, nothing against you guys. You developed a beautiful country and all that. So, hey, awesome. Okay, now, Invicta FC 11 was also last Friday. You got Chris Cyborg winning her fight against Charmaine Tweet in 46 seconds. That's three seconds faster than Rousey finished Tweet, for those of you who are obsessively keeping track for this uh, alleged contest. But moving on. You also had uh, Mizuki Inoue and Alexa Grosso, and you had uh, Irene Aldana taking on uh, Colleen Schneider, and just, wow. the two, Those two Mexican prospects that... Uh, Julie Kedzie picked up. They are amazing. Kedzie has a spectacular eye for talent. And uh, she has been doing such good work with Invicta. And she just needs all the congratulations she can get. She needs all the kudos. So give her your kudos. And uh, speaking of Invicta FC 11, 
My first guest today is going to be Mr. TJ DeSantis, who was your lead commentator for Invicta FC 11. And we also have an extra special guest after that, Dr. Anne Maria DeMars. You may know her as Ronda Rousey's mother. She is super opinionated, does not hold back. And she's also a pioneer in women's combat sports. She was the first North American woman to win a world championship in judo. So, hey, there's that. All right. Now, before we get to TJ DeSantis, I want to talk to you about DraftKings.com. That's right. DraftKings.com, the leader for one-day fantasy sports, has gotten into the MMA game. And that they're going in on it in a big, big way. You know, there's thousands of dollars changing hands in these games. And not just for the number one winner either. So many people in these games win money. And usually it's just for a $2 entry fee. And if you want to sign up now, you can sign up for free. And if you enter the promo code MMASUKA, M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A, when you sign up, when you make your first deposit, you'll get a free entry into your first game, and they'll double your deposit amount up to $600. You put in $2, they put in $2. You put in $50, they put in $50. You put in $600, they put in $600, giving you $1,200 with which to play one-day fantasy sports. And it's not just mixed martial arts. They've got hockey They've got NBA basketball. They've got PGA golf. And things are getting added all the time. For all we know, they could have rugby and cricket coming up. So, hey, DraftKings.com is the place to be to get your one-day fantasy sports fix. And don't forget to enter that promo code, M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A. That's right, promo code M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A in order to get your deposit doubled, and free entry into your first game. All right, without further ado, it's time for my discussion with TJ DeSantis. Hello, everyone. The man I have here with me today, he was your lead commentator for Invicta FC 11. He is on nearly every podcast on the SureDog Radio Network, and he is the co-host of It's Time Radio with Bruce Buffer. He is Mr. TJ DeSantis. Good morning, TJ. Uh, how are you? I'm great, thanks. That's good. So, quite often we hear about late-notice replacements and fights, but uh, rarely do you hear about the late-notice replacement commentator. You uh, took the Invicta FC 11 gig on short notice this past weekend. Uh, how did that come about? Um, I was at the weigh-ins covering uh, the show for SureDog.com, and I uh, went up and introduced myself to Shannon, uh, Shannon Knapp. I, you know, it's funny. I've talked with Shannon, I don't know, on and off the last nine or ten years, and I don't think I've ever actually met her in person. So uh, I went to say hello, and uh, she said, I-, I might be calling you later. And I didn't really know what for, but said okay. And she never called me, and uh, I-, I stuck around the hotel because traffic in L.A. is terrible, to say the least. And uh, I stuck around the hotel to do my photos and stuff for SureDog, and as I was leaving – uh, Shannon was uh, coming in through the lobby and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And, um, you know, st- stepped aside with her and she said, I need a commentator. And uh, at first I was like, oh, OK, um, when? She's like, tomorrow. I was like, oh, as in like 24 hours from now. 
So uh got in there and did it and uh yeah, for better or for worse, uh it happened. Yeah, and uh for those who don't know, you've actually done commentary before for smaller cards that were streamed on SureDog.com, right? I've actually done mixed martial arts commentary. I actually just recently did my resume um looking for more commentating jobs. I've done commentary on and off for the last ten years. Uh the first time I ever did it was for a very small promotion. Uh, in the Midwest called uh, Extreme Cage Combat. The first show I ever did was headlined by Josh Neer. Uh did some other shows. I did a show in Florida that was pretty big. And then uh, for the last, uh, I would say, three years, going on four years, I've uh, been the lead play-by-play man for uh, Tachi Palace Fights, which does stream on SureDog. Uh, even a few years ago, Jordan Breen and I did the uh, preliminary card for Strike Force when uh, Nick Diaz fought uh, Evangelista Cyborg Santa. So... Yeah, I've I've dipped my foot in there a few times. Uh, I also called the one and only Nick Diaz Promotions card called uh, One uh, War MMA, and uh, yeah, I've I've been fortunate enough to have some opportunities here and there. And it looks like it's paying off for you. I know uh, Mauro Ranallo had was uh, he tweeted that he was in the hospital. I know we'd all like to wish him a quick recovery, but it. It certainly worked out well for you that you got that big exposure at short notice. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked out for me. Of course, we want to wish Mar the best and hope he's doing well. He's he's one of the icons in, in commentating and in mixed martial arts, so uh, obviously I uh, wish him the best. But, uh, yeah, it worked out for me this weekend and uh, definitely hope I get another chance somewhere down the road. For sure. And uh, one thing I noticed was your information was on point do you think that being a podcaster and having talked to so many fighters do you think that helped prepare you even if you had to just jump in there um yeah i mean the preparation was the hardest part i think i mean i've been broadcasting since uh june of 1999 uh i was 15 years old when i first started working for a radio station in minneapolis and you know was playing power man 5000 records uh way back in the day and and i kind of got my a knack for broadcasting there and, and have really fallen in love with, with broadcasting in any uh, form. And then obviously now, I mean, my, my radio show at SureDog has been going on. Uh, it'll be 10 years this year. I actually worked for a different website before SureDog. I, I did a show called MMA Evolution uh, on a website that is now defunct called InsideFighting.com. And, uh, I mean, the information was the big key on on uh, – on Friday night, making sure I was was adequately prepped on on all the women fighting, uh, so that was that was a night of basically no sleep, getting caught up, and I had watched you know almost every Invicta card leading up to it, but it was it was trying to yeah I mean when you're when you're getting ready for a broadcast, you you look at fights completely different ways. You try to not watch the fight as a whole, but you kind of like break down intricacies of each fighter, and the the Invicta team was amazing at getting me. Uh, you know, facts like, you know, what, what the, the ladies had done in their last three fights, you know, cumulative fight times, uh, ways that they finish. I mean, a lot of those notes were well taken care of. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, my biggest, my biggest strength coming into the broadcast on Friday night was just the fact that I'm comfortable speaking. Uh, I don't have an issue, uh, you know, talking to a, a large audience of people. And then it was just integrating, you know, my broadcast experience into their format. I mean, that, that's what I struggled with the most is, you know, when I do the Tachi cards and, and when I did uh, Strike Force and Nick Diaz, it's, it's really just an Internet stream. There's no real television format to follow. And, and UFC Fight Pass is completely different. There's live reads. There's promo packages you have to roll to. There's a, 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 a director in your ear at, at all times almost counting you down. And, you know, the, the hardest part was just kind of, 
understanding their format, trying to fit my style to it, and then at the same time completely uh, figuring out Julie Kedzie, who I'd never worked with before. And, and you know, the camaraderie goes a really long way once you have something established. And, and Julie, who's a pro, who knows the car better than anybody, she's the matchmaker. Uh, you know, she had the, the task of working with me, and, and we'd never really worked together. We hadn't, you know, I, I've interviewed Julie a long time ago. You know, I've, I've chatted with her in person. But, you know, outside of just casual encounters, her and I have never really had a meaningful conversation um, so, you know, to, to get to know one another and, and express fashion and, and to try to pull everything off in a cohesive manner over the course of, you know, two and a half, three hours when, you know, first prelim started to the, the, the main event with Cyborg, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was a whirlwind, man. I, I don't think it gets much more exciting than working in an environment that is, you know, y- you have little room for error and let's go. I made some mistakes. I definitely made some mistakes, but I think given the opportunity with a little bit more prep, I think I can do a, a pretty good job in that space. Yeah, and who knows? I'm sure that if anything happens, I'll be giving you the call again. But uh, how, overall, how did you enjoy the card from Cage Side? I loved it. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, this weekend in mixed martial arts was really busy. I mean, obviously at Bellator, uh, there was a legacy card. That was just going on on Friday. And then on Saturday, the UFC here at Staples Center, um, Invicta, I thought, had the best fight of the weekend. I thought the uh, Alexa Grasso, Mizuki Inoue fight was the, the best fight of the weekend. It was, it was a lot of fun, very technical, uh, very action-packed. Uh, it was one of the, probably one of the best cards, uh, one of the best fights I've ever had the privilege of, of calling. And, you know, at Tachi, I've been lucky to call, you know, some Ian McCall fights and, and some guys that really establish themselves there and, and go on and do big things in the UFC. Uh, but, you know, for my money, out of all the fights that I've ever called, I think Mizuki and Grasso is probably my favorite. Wow, that's uh, that's some pretty high praise. I know uh, Inouye is quite the prospect, although I can't help but wonder if she shouldn't be making a trip to the United States for some training. I'm sure she could probably get in over at uh, Syndicate with Roxanne Motaferi to help out with any translation duties. Yeah, Ro- but- Roxy's an old school fighter as well who would love to help out the the future of of women's mixed martial arts. If Mizuki was, you know, willing to explore that avenue, it would be a nice fit for her. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Roxanne and Syndicate, how about that Jamie Moyle? Seriously, uh, one of the outspoken uh, stars of the weekend, really getting it done. That was surprising. I mean, you know, uh, there's there's hype around people all the time, and, and not all the time do people uh, live up to it. And uh, Jamie Moyle is one of those uh, fighters that came across the, the desk here and, and people were saying, oh, look out for her. She might do really well, and, and she definitely answered that call on Friday. Definitely. She's two fights into her pro career. She's undefeated, and she's got both stoppages so far. I definitely think she's one to watch, and I just think Syndicate's the gym to watch in Las Vegas right now. You know, it's funny. I, I said it on the Invicta broadcast. I mean, there's a, a, a slew of gyms in Vegas, but it seems at one point or another, even if they don't train their full-time, fighters go to Syndicate just to get some rounds in to spar, to work at. It's a fantastic facility. It's kind of tucked away from the normal, busy uh, strip-like atmosphere. Couture's is not too far away from the strip either, but still kind of out there. But Syndicate, as far as all the gyms are concerned in Vegas, a a little bit out there on an island, and it's a destination if you're an elite-level fighter. And uh, I remember uh, one of the UFCs I covered, it it was in 2013 or 2012, uh, made my way out to Syndicate the day of the UFC. There were so many so many stars there's so much talent just rolling through the gym just hanging out and having fun and hitting the bag and doing you know light sparring it's it's a pretty cool place and and like i said even if you don't train at syndicate full-time it it seems like 
the, all the talent in Vegas just goes through there at one point, e- even if it's just for a day. Yeah, uh, John Wood, uh, Mike Pyle, Vinny Magalesh, they've all done a great job of training people out there, and I really think they should be proud. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, if, if you're in the area uh, and you want to train, it's it's a co- cool place to just you know peek your head and it's a fantastic facility, uh, great equipment, and a ton of space. Yeah, so um, moving on to the UFC, uh, that was some very... Disturbing refing from Jaron Vallel. He's actually well known as being a good referee back here in Canada, but I'm wondering if maybe the jump up to the stage has affected his nerves. I don't think so. I think, I mean, Jaron Vallel doesn't have a long track history of, of making mistakes like that. He had two very unfortunate chokes. Um, the the cost check choke, I don't think that Jaron Vallel did anything wrong in the cost check choke. It just looked grisly. And, and cost held on a very, very long time and tapped when the lights were going out. So, I mean, you know, kudos to Josh Koshak for hanging in there to the bitter end. It, it looked that, that's one of those moves where I think it looked a lot worse than it was. Um, the Munoz submission definitely was was hard for Villel. Um, I'd have to go back and, and watch it again. Watching it live, uh, his eyes stay open, but I, I think they roll in the back of his head. And, and yeah. you know, I, it, again, that one was a, a little little hard to find, uh, you know, an excuse for Jaron Villel, but Again, man, you're not going to be perfect every single time out, and I'm willing to forgive maybe a lackluster performance for Jaron Vallel on Saturday night because, like you said, he has a track record of being a good uh, good referee, and uh, you know he'll be back. He'll be fine. Yes. Uh, speaking of Koscheck, I know that him versus Ellenberger was probably a loser leaves town match. Uh, should is it time for him to hang up the gloves? So should he transition into coaching or broadcasting? Um. What do you, it's your opinion. Yeah, that, I know it's tough for us to say. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that Josh Koscheck has to ask himself. I don't think that the UFC will straight out cut him um, from this fight. I mean, Josh Koscheck is, is very important to uh, the evolution of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. You know, Jeff Sherwood and I were talking about this on on uh, Monday's edition of my radio show called Beatdown. Uh, you know, rivalries in the sport, some of the greatest rivalries in mixed martial arts. And it actually goes back to a conversation I had on uh, Gross Point Blank with Josh Gross, uh, another podcast I produce. We're talking about greatest uh, rivalries in weight classes, and uh, one of the the rivalries that Jeff and I brought up based on that first initial conversation with Josh is what was the greatest rivalry between fighters that were not in each other's weight class, and I think that might be uh, Josh Koscheck and Chris Lieben because they fought each other on the Ultimate Fighter. We never saw a rematch of it, and I mean those guys those guys were kind of the story of the Ultimate Fighter season one without really kind of factoring into who was going to be the ultimate fighter. Um, Koscheck, love him or hate him, he is an essential part to the, the early ultimate fighter and in, in, in his evolution. I mean, when we saw Koscheck fight on, the, on tough and he, he, didn't, he didn't win the show, but they brought him in, he fought Pete Spratt and he you know, fought his way up to actually fighting George St. Pierre for the title. That was kind of like an eye-opening experience that you know you could really come through the ultimate fighter and, and fight for a title. Now, the first person to do that, to fight for a title that didn't win the show, was Nate Quarry, same season. But you get what I'm saying. Josh Koscheck yeah. was part of that elite few that you know Dana White and company is very loyal to the guys that you know stand by them and, and, and stay loyal and true. I, I, think, I, don't, I don't think that they're going to usher him out um, on a loss. I think if they want Josh to hang it up, uh, they'll give him a fight that is winnable for him, and uh, you know we'll see we'll see what happens. But th- that's the thing, though, too, about Koscheck. I, I don't think he's the personality that would sit behind the Fox desk. I don't 
really I mean I don't even see Josh really being a, an MMA coach uh no slight to Josh I'm not trying to say that he's not uh, a good coach I'm just saying I, I don't know if those are his ambitions I mean Josh is very much a competitor and uh, you know it's unfortunate that uh, your time as as an elite level competitor um you know closes sometimes earlier than you wanted to but uh, again let's not forget Josh Koscheck wasn't a spring chicken when he got into mixed martial arts either uh, no, he wasn't. You no, know, he uh, he he's he's a guy that got into it late, and it would be interesting to see what would have happened if Josh was 18 years old, getting into mixed martial arts. He very well may have been a champion, but uh, you know whether or not he continues fighting, that's going to be up to Josh. It's going to be something that he has to talk to Bob Cook about, and uh, you know only he can really answer that. Uh, it, the, the matter does get forced though a bit because I don't see Josh Koscheck fighting outside of the UFC. I don't think Josh needs money. Um, if he wants to compete, then then maybe he takes a fight outside of the UFC. But uh, I, I would expect Josh Koscheck's last fight to be inside the octagon, and I don't think that last fight was Jake Ellenberger. Certainly. All right, so even if this isn't Koscheck's last fight, you mentioned him talking to Bob Cook. That's something that I've had in mind lately quite a bit is, what is a coach's responsibility in uh, talking to a fighter and talking about when they're career might be winding up to an end i think the biggest concern is safety um you know if if a fighter is fighting to their detriment to the point where they're taking unnecessary damage then it's time to have that conversation if it's pretty clear that you're not going to be a world champion and you're getting battered and pummeled and and beaten up on a regular basis when it comes to actively competing then i think it is time to have that conversation now i i don't generally like to sit here and say so-and-so should retire that's not my place as a media member i I think you can suggest it but i I don't think you can ever flat out say you should retire unless it's a case where a guy's been knocked out in vicious violent fashion four times in a row something along those lines where you know it's very apparent that their safety is is a liability at this point then i think as a as a third party in the outside looking in you can suggest it but that's the thing you can only ever suggest it you can't ever tell a grown man or woman, what they can and can't do with their bodies and in, in their career. And, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to Kimbo slice signing with Bellator. It's like, you can't be mad at a guy, you know, taking a payday when it's being offered. And I don't think you can be mad at a fighter for taking fights when they're being offered. I mean, if you want to point the finger at anybody, uh, for saying, Oh, why is he fighting still? Well, maybe you should be mad at the promoters. The promoters are, you know, allowing them to still continue, uh, to fight. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the going back to your original question, I mean, the responsibility and the criteria for having that conversation, in my opinion, is absolutely 100% safety. Yes, and uh, in that, given that, since it is a matter of safety, at what point should coaches and even managers help their fighters start coming up with an exit plan? Not all, I mean, not all of these guys, especially in the current generation of fighters, went to college. Not everybody's got a teaching degree right. to fall back on like Rich Franklin. You know, more often than not, you're going to see these guys transition to coaching and doing seminars, especially the guys with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu base uh, that can travel the world and, and teach their craft. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, though, because the exit plan for a guy like George St. Pierre is going to be a lot different than an exit plan for, you know, some of the guys that are long gone. I mean, you're talking about uh, a guy like George was a superstar. He's good. A guy like Jens Pulver, who was a superstar in his time. I don't know if Jens has a lot of money. And, um, you know, it, it's it's really different because you, you look at these guys now that are 
fighting for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in a given year. That wasn't the case of some of these legends. I mean, you look at uh, even a guy like Matt Hughes. I think Matt made really good money for his time, but I don't think Matt really ever had a year where he made millions of dollars. I mean, maybe maybe he did in the last little part of his career, but I, I don't know. I, I can't say for certain. Uh, I know Matt Hughes never got a million-dollar payday on paper. Um, it's interesting because if you're coming in now as a mixed martial artist, like a, a top prospect, um, if you do well, you can probably be done and retired after five or six years. I mean, John Jones, he's set. When when did John Jones make his UFC debut? Like 2008. Yeah. You know, it's now it's now seven years later, and I mean, John really probably doesn't have to take another fight for the rest of his life. And again, he's he's the elite level superstar, but you know, it, it still depends on on your success. But you know, now more than ever, if you have success, you can really have a three to five year career inside the octagon, and and maybe you win a few bonuses, maybe you have some really big paydays where the exit's a lot better than it was, you know, ten years ago. I mean, if you, I mean. I don't know. It, it's interesting. It, it's it, I don't know what fighters are going to do, but it's it's not it's not a, a a flat thing across the board. I mean, every fighter is different. I mean, is Mark Munoz set for life? If Mark decided to walk away, is he set for life? Probably not. He's probably going to have to teach. Probably going to have to have something uh, in his back pocket. But you know, from, from what I understand, he's actually got a, a business on the side in addition to his gym. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a incredibly intelligent person but it's like the guy that you were talking about you know some of the guys that maybe didn't go to college that you know are, are blue collar when it goes away from mixed martial arts uh, i mean i don't know it, it, w w i think for any athlete if you're getting a, a lot of money the first thing you should do is go to a financial advisor try to lay out things you go okay i have a, a large amount of money coming in or a decent amount of money coming in let's try to be smart with it and then you know you can splurge if you get those million dollar paydays yeah, you can't really – not everybody can do the Conor McGregor, Donald Cerrone lifestyle no. where it goes out as fast as it comes exactly. in. Exactly, and you know, I'm, I'm the worst guy to talk about money with. I'm, I'm from a, a pretty humble uh, family coming up. Uh, both my parents were not able to work during my childhood, and, and I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of the system. We had to take uh, government funding to get through because my dad was terminally ill. So uh, to talk about hundreds of thousands of dollars and things like that, I'm the, I'm the absolute worst guy to speak about uh, what fighters should or shouldn't do with their money. Hey, it's, you know what? Maybe somebody does need to have a talk with a few of them about penny pinching. Hey, absolutely. I don't think, think penny pinching is ever a bad thing. No. It's better to save now. You know, it's that whole... Uh you know, squirrel and the ant thing. You know, the ant's stocking away the food for winter, and the squirrel's just frittering everything away. Exactly. I should uh, I should follow the our own advice in this segment, though, as well. I uh, I could always stay to put a few more bucks in the bank. Hey, I hear you, man. And you know, we're both parents too. And uh, you know, how are you, how are you raising your kid? I know I know you've got a child. How are you raising them with mixed martial arts around? Uh, he's three. Um, you know, it used to be something that I uh, watched a lot at home. Now. I moved to Los Angeles a year ago, and uh, before I moved out here, uh, my studio was in my house. So, you know, come fight night, Oliver would sit on my lap and watch the fights. Now, uh, it's a little bit more isolated. Uh, it's nothing that I would keep away from him. I'm not uh, ashamed of it. I don't think that mixed martial arts is bad. Um, you know, when, when he's old enough, I don't think he's old enough yet, but when he's old enough, I'll, you know, ask him if he wants to wrestle or do jujitsu. I will push nothing on him. Um, I, I, I think that. Uh, a childhood is something that is uh, of free will, and and you know he every interest that he 
has should be his own. I, I should never force anything on him. I will encourage him to go out for sports and encourage him to take part in activities. But if he goes on the wrestling mat and absolutely hates it, you know, he never wants to do it again, then he won't do it again. But uh, I don't know. If he's anything like me, I always love to wrestle around, whether it was acting out, uh, you know, a Hulk Hogan leg drop in the 80s or, uh, you know, trying to do triangle chokes when I was a teenager. Uh, I, I'm sure that he'll uh, he'll want to at least try out a little jujitsu, some some submission grappling at some point. Yeah, hopefully. I know uh, on Saturday night for the Rousey fight, my wife and I we we kept our daughter uh, Angela. She, she's just one year old. We actually delayed her bedtime so we could all watch that fight together. Nice, nice. You realize you're getting to that terrible two territory. Oh, I do, I do. And she's insanely active. She never stops moving. So It only gets worse. I'm, it only gets worse. Once they're mobile, <laughs> it's all over. Yeah, you know, she's running, she's climbing. It It's tough. And I'm hoping that when she's old enough, we can channel that into a martial art or some kind of activity. But we'll see. I think uh, I think the biggest step for getting a kid active in anything, and, and maybe some people will roll their eyes at this, but gymnastics is clutch, man. If you look at gymnasts, gymnasts are the supreme athletes of the world. And uh, I think uh, real soon here, I don't think quite yet, but real soon I'll, I'll push Oliver to try to get into gymnastics, see if he likes it. Because uh, if anything, gymnastics will teach you how to fall and tumble and uh, kind of get used to being physical. And, uh, yeah. you know, I don't think anybody thinks great fighter when you think of, you know, running over the pommel horse or whatever. But uh, it gets a kid active. It gets a kid humble. And, uh, yeah, I suggest that to everybody. Yeah, uh, that's actually interesting that you mentioned that because George St. Pierre, he got into that later in his career. He realized that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the guys, especially that do the rings, um, the the men and women that can do the rings, the the upper body strength is just insane, and the discipline to to get into that physical condition is is one that it really is that of a champion. Yeah. So. Who knows uh, that maybe Oliver does that, maybe other kids here, maybe other parents hearing this do that, and their kids get into it. I know you're not the only parent who's high on gymnastics. I was listening to uh, the great MMA debate, and uh, Mark Coleman's kid is in uh, gymnastics as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's, again, even if they don't like it, I think it's just fun to go out there and, and run around. I mean, have you ever looked, I mean, I, I always watch, like it would be on NBC, I always watch the guys doing uh, the uh, the uneven bars and, and running over the, 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 the horse and the flips. I mean, that looks awesome. A trampoline, that looks amazing. Let's go yeah, do that. Of course. Yeah, I mean, every kid loves a trampoline. That's what I'm saying. It's also yeah. it's also a death trap, but whatever. <laughs> I know, and you've seen the ones that they have now with the nets over them, and you just wonder about how safe that really is. Yeah, I uh, every time I see those nets, I think it's like a mini octagon or something. Yeah, so... What other projects are you working on now? I know uh, It's Time Radio just moved, so, and you mentioned uh, Gross Point Blank with Josh Gross and Beatdown Radio. So uh, what are your big projects coming down the pipe right now? Uh, you know, the Sure Dog slate of uh, shows keeps me very busy. Uh, as you mentioned, Josh Gross, we do his podcast on Wednesdays over at grosspointblank.net. Uh, Bruce Buffer's podcast just moved to Fox Sports. Uh, we're getting that up and running. That's a little bit of a process, uh, making the switch from podcast one. Uh, I do a wrestling podcast for WrestleZone.com called The Lapsed Fan, which uh, chronicles uh, wrestling at a, at a better time when it was the 80s and 90s and uh, not the garbage that's out there today. But uh, also a part of my duties, I shouldn't talk too much uh, about the modern product because uh, we're launching a new wrestling show in WrestleZone. I believe it will be on Wednesday nights, and we also do roundtables and uh, a variation of what we do on SureDog called Beat Them After the Bell. Over on WrestleZone, it's called Breakdown After the Bell, where we go live for about two hours following 
every WWE Network special. I guess you can't call it pay-per-view anymore because it's $10 a month. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we do that. And then uh, I got something else uh, I can't really talk about, but it's uh, a podcast with uh, personalities you all know. And uh, once that becomes official, uh, maybe I'll come back and we can talk about it. Sounds good. All right, where can everybody find you on uh, social media, TJ? Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at TJ DeSantis. It's TJ D-E-S-A-N-T-I-S. I think I'm on Instagram with the same name. However, I never use it. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can get at me. All right. Well, thank you for your time, TJ. Once again, he is TJ DeSantis, host of a myriad shows on Sure Dog Radio. He is the co-host of It's Time Radio with Bruce Buffer and as well as the producer of Josh Gross's Gross Point Blank. Don't forget to check him out on Sure Dog. And once again, thank you for your time, TJ. Justin, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you, sir. All right. We're going to take a little pause for the cause so I can talk to you about another one of our sponsors, Amazon.com. You may notice on the Sucker Radio page here at MMASucker.com that there is a link for Amazon.com. If you need to buy something from Amazon, like my next guest, Dr. Anne Maria DeMar's book, Winning on the Ground, go to Amazon.com by clicking that link. There's no extra fees, no hidden charges, but if you purchase after clicking that link, Amazon kicks a little bit back to us to help us pay for production costs. That's right, microphones and bandwidth ain't cheap. So, go to Amazon.com by clicking the link on our Sucker Radio page. Help us out. We want to keep this podcast free for you. We would want to keep bringing you all the great interviews and analysis. So please... When you need to buy something online, click that link for Amazon.com on the Sucker Radio page. Hello, everyone. I am here with video game designer, entrepreneur, 1984 world judo champion, and mother of Ronda Rousey, Dr. Anne Maria DeMars. How are you doing today, Doctor? I'm doing just great. You've got your coffee. You're good to go. I do. I woke up about five minutes ago because I stay up and write software till four a.m. But I'm awake now. That's that's good. That's good. So uh, it was another uh, eventful weekend for your family with Rhonda winning in record-setting fashion on Saturday. How was that for you to watch as a mother? It was absolutely great. And you know, it's really funny. We were talking about it on Monday um, over coffee. She did almost that same move in the bronze medal match in the Olympics. Not, I, I wanted not to, the arm bar part, but the turnout part. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I know initially it looked like a bit of a scramble, but when they were showing the slow motion replay, it did look like she was actually executing a technique. Well, yeah, it's kind of a technique, and it, it's funny because some people in judo think that falling is really important. You should learn how to fall safely, and that that's a really big part. And they will spend a good bit of the first few weeks or even months when kids start judo, teaching them how to fall properly. And I'm of the other school that says when you fall on your back, you lose. So we're going to do everything we can to prevent that. I mean, we want you to know how to fall safely. But so we used to do this drill. Eduardo was reminding me of it where I would hold her by both lapels and like lower her to the mat. And at some random point, I would just let go and she would have to turn out and, you know, land on her stomach instead of on her back. And then when she was fighting Annette Bohm in the Olympics... She did that same exact thing. Rhonda was ahead. And then near the end of the match, Annette threw her and Rhonda spun up in the air and a few inches from the mat turned out and came at her and she won the match. And I 
laughed at her afterwards. I was talking to Rhonda and I said, man, you know, I got to tell you, babe, you are a great athlete. I mean, that was an amazing move. She goes, you like that fucking Matrix move, huh, Ma? Because you made me practice that every night since I was 11. (laughs) So it's nice to see things come to fruition. Yes. uh, What is it about Rhonda, do you think, separates her from other judoka and going into MMA? She seems to be able to implement the game without constantly searching for grips. I know others have struggled with it. I know Rick Hahn's turned into more of a striker. Carol Parisian's never seemed to live up to the hype. So what is it about her that seems to uh, be able to adjust to the no-gi game so well? Well, I think one advantage Rhonda had over Rick, who was a really good judo player. I remember watching him in the Olympics, too. Is Rick came into the game later. You know, he had been to the Olympics and he was, I'm not sure how old, probably 29, 30 when he started MMA. And so by then, you probably are more set in your ways. Even if you really want to change, if you've done something a certain way for 20 years, it's going to be really hard. Where Rhonda, went into MMA really at the top of her game. I mean, everybody expected the next Olympics to be her year. And so I think going into it at a much younger age, she was it was easier for her to make a switch. And the other thing is that people never give her enough credit for, Rhonda's really smart. Yeah, I mean, this this is she set a record here with the, on Saturday. That was the first UFC title bout to be contested without a single strike landed. Goodbye me. I, <laughs> I don't want to see my baby get hit. Goodbye, me. Her her sister, who's a year older, never comes to the fights. She came once, and she said, "I'm never coming again." She said, "It makes me sick to my stomach to see somebody hit my sister." I'm never coming again. And she has that's uh, that's Jennifer. Yes, yes, yeah. Because not everybody realizes you have four daughters. I'm very very fortunate. Yes, uh, you've got uh, Maria Burns Ortiz, who works with ESPN, and uh, she and Rhonda are working on a book right now, right? Yeah, it's, it's called. My fight, your fight. I've I wanted them to call it My Mother is Awesome, but they told me that that was not a really good title. So, but I, yeah, no, it's going to no. be really good. Uh, that's all. It's, it's going to be really good. No, that'll you'll. I'm sure you'll use something similar to that when you write your memoirs. <laughs> In my spare time, right when I'm not programming. Yes, because um, that's another thing people may not know about you. You work with seventh generation games, and you design uh, video game educational video games for. Uh, we call them First Nations here, uh, children. Yes. And we, we actually don't call them educational video games. We call them games that make you smarter because a lot of educational games really aren't that fun. And so we work every, every day on making the games both more, both more challenging intellectually and more fun. Where it, and it, it all started when I was on one of the American Indian reservations in North Dakota. And it's just south of North Dakota's borders Manitoba and Saskatchewan like it's just south of there and one of the students said well I'm an Indian and I shouldn't have to learn math and you know our people didn't use math and one of my um one of my colleagues who also is the lead cultural consultant on our our game and he was also the first person from his tribe to ever earn a doctorate he was there with me wow and he says are you kidding me he says do you he goes look how big this country is he said the dakota are nomadic people do you think we just arrived at the place we had a power and everybody by chance you know came from within a thousand miles and landed that same spot you know people had to calculate distance they had to calculate how much food they had to have and so anyway that's where we got to talking about it and there's just so many interesting stories that I know I love math. I think it's interesting. I know a lot of people don't don't think that, 
but a lot of people don't think fighting is interesting. It's, you never use anything if you don't know it. And you often don't see the value and the beauty and the, the fun in something if you don't know it well. So we're just trying to, to make the world better for a lot of people. And it's, it's very, very, very fun. That's good. It's, you know, it's really a noble thing to get out there, too, because you're actually targeting a group that many people say is uh, underrepresented, underassisted. So That's so true. And, you know, it's funny. We started the games working with schools on the reservations because those are people I know. And I had worked there for mm-hmm. over 20 years. And then we yeah. did a Kickstarter campaign and people started asking, well, you know, I've got to take this pre-employment test for the city and I haven't multiplied fractions in 20 years. Is this game just for Indians? Or I fight with my kid in high school all the time about, you know, reviewing this stuff before the SATs. Is this game just for Indians? And our our marketing person said, no, this game is for anybody who has (laughs) (laughs) $9.99. So now, you know, I was just looking at every night. It's it's pretty cool when you make something that's just in your brain and then you make it happen and then see people around the country and even in some other countries using it and it's very cool now i'd say more than half the people that use our games are just people that saw it on the internet or schools that contacted us and said i could use this i'm in florida can we get it no that that's uh great and i know it's something that uh, i know i've got a daughter she's one year old oh. so she's nowhere near ready for math but <laughs> as she gets older i think that may be something i'm gonna have to look into yeah because you haven't yet got to the fighting over doing your homework stage <laughs> No, not yet. And if she's anything like I was, she's going to be the kind that does it but doesn't hand it in. <laughs> now they could do it online and then they, they blame technology. Oh, my attachment didn't go through. Yeah, well, that's why now with all the mobile phones, it's not an excuse because you can save it onto your phone and just uh, email it again. Yeah. So no more the virus ate my homework. <laughs> So in 1984, I mean, you were considered, you were something of a pioneer, being the first North American woman to win a world judo championship. Had mixed martial arts been around at the time, is that something you would have considered as a career option? Not as a career option. I mean, I probably would have done it uh, because (laughs) I was going to do wrestling. They used to have wrestling in the um, bars and they had women's wrestling. And I'm like, I could beat the crap out of these girls and I could use some money, right? Because I was in graduate school and graduate students are broke. And then yeah. a friend of mine told me, no, she had done it. It wasn't if you won or not. It was like who clapped for you the most. So you could like beat the crap out of the other girl. But then if her, she brought more drunken friends that clapped for her. She, you lost. So I decided not to do it. Yeah, the judo would have helped, though, especially with the uh, break falls. Because uh, with the professional wrestling, it's a more a ballet of the brute than it is a sport. Well, oh, yes. And then also our coach at the time talked to somebody, one of – some of the, the other women on the team were interested in pro wrestling. And again, that was something I didn't know anything about because I was going to graduate school. <laughs> I was so out of the in crowd in judo. And they were talking to me about it. And I even had a meeting with some guy. And then they were saying, and then we'll hit here's at works. And then we'll tell you who wins. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm always going to win. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, sometimes you'll have to let the other girl win. I'm like, no, that won't be happening. <laughs> so that was not for me. No, I, I, you seem like a very competitive person, so I can see how that wouldn't be the right uh, career path for you. So, moving on, 
I wanted to talk about something that's been uh, coming up in the news lately, and that's the European Judo Federation and the French Judo Federation, especially with uh, Jean-Luc Rouge coming out uh, so hard against MMA, including banning members of the FJF from coaching pupils in MMA. Oh, what a bunch of ballless bozos, huh? <laughs> You know, people at judo, this is one of the reasons I'm glad I'm not too involved except for like, like volunteering at, at a middle school and teaching there. And I, you know, I do it at the, the very beginning junior level and take the kids to some tournaments. But people in judo have no balls, really. They really don't. Somebody asked me years ago what, um, what judo in America or judo overall needed to do to be a, a better sport. And I said they need to grow some huevos. And he, you know, as an adult... If somebody tells you, you're not allowed to do this, my reaction would be, who the hell are you to tell me what to do? But all these people in judo just roll over and do what they're told all the time. So it doesn't even surprise me. I mean, it's very pathetic. Too bad for that. It is, especially because they lost out on uh, UFC sponsorship. And I mean, that's, that's no small amount of money. Right. I mean, people complain all the time about not having enough money and they say we should run judo like a business. Well, I've run a business for 30 years. And let me tell you, running a business is hard. And one thing you don't do in a business is tell your customers you are not allowed to shop anywhere else. You know, I have a Mac operating system and I have a Windows operating system. And neither Apple nor Windows gets to come and tell me I can't have the other one. It's just ludicrous. I know. I mean, Macintosh eventually... They acquiesced on that because now you can get Windows on a Macintosh Apple computer. Yeah, I've got it on mine. I I run Windows. You can yes, you can switch into Boot Camp. You can run either one. Yeah, you don't go and tell your customers what to do, but in Judo they've done that and people acquiesce to it. So you know what? You get your your life is the product of the choices you make. If you choose to tolerate that, then you're going to be in a niche sport where you have no money. Oh well. Of course, and you know that's their problem. That's their loss, and uh, who knows? You know, they may not if they ever try to remove judo from the Olympics. I don't know if they'll get the same support as uh, wrestling did. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the whole Olympic thing is very corrupt, and it's all run by money. But it is. Hey, I <laughs> hey, I I was working security during the 2010 Olympics. Trust me, I totally know what you're talking about. So, it's. You just look at it and you just shake your head, especially from when you're on the inside. I think, and you were on the inside. Yeah, yeah. I think the sport of judo, you know, the actual physical activity of it is a really good thing. But I also think that pretty much anything that you involve young people in or adults that develops them physically or mentally and you know, teaches them some discipline is a good thing. People always act as if there's something superior or special about martial arts, you, you know, if you're in band and you spend a lot of time studying, you are then, it's sort of what I call the physics principle of drug abuse prevention. You can't be, you know, out on the street dealing if you're in the music room practicing, if you're in the gym lifting weights, if you're, you know, on the mat. So anything that you could do that's positive is by definition going to have a good impact on you as a person and the people around you. I don't think there's anything special about martial arts. I think they're good. And if you get the right teacher, you know, it's definitely good for the student. It definitely helps give them the the boost that they may need, right. whether it's confidence or in physicality. Right, and that's absolutely true of everything. If you get the right teacher, it makes a huge difference. Yes. So moving on, uh, you 
you uh, got into a uh, small beef. It's more on her part than yours with uh, Chris Cyborg uh, Justino now. Uh, I saw that she was making a jab at your daughter, Rhonda, and uh, you responded with Rhonda's number being 135. Did you see, What did you think of her response about being a lion going for your cup? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, what an idiot. Wasn't it? I mean, you know, people made a big deal that I said six words and went back to work. <laughs> I got shit to do. <laughs> I know. She took over a day to come. If you check the timestamp, she took over a day oh, to come I'm up sure with that response. I'm sure someone else runs a Twitter account. Come on. I mean, yeah. incidentally, Rhonda uh, does post all of her own stuff. That's why you don't see it very often when she's fighting. But no, I'm sure somebody else writes for her. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I know she was involved with Tito Ortiz, who is a noted pain in the ass so moving on uh, another ufc fighter a flyweight 125 pounder ian mccall he recently uh, said in an interview after all the hype about ronda being good enough to beat 50 percent of the men in her weight class he said a good man will not lose to ronda rousey i could put a judo gi on she's an olympian you're not throwing me it's not going to happen i will throw you on your head pretty simple and you weigh more than me uh, what do you have to say about guys like that I mean, I think that they are just trying to get attention. So what, basically, what he's saying is, I can beat up a girl, which is not too impressive to most real men. So I'll say the same thing that my husband said when someone asked him if he felt like less of a man because he was married to a woman who could beat him up. He said, if I ever had the need to feel like a man, I would go get naked and look down, and then I would feel like a man. So I would recommend that that's what Ian McCall did. All right. Well, there's no coming back from that. I mean, if that doesn't work for him, I don't know what to tell him. Yeah, maybe he needs to just go to a doctor and get it checked. <laughs> the UFC has medical insurance now. They should cover that. <laughs> Good point. All right. Well, I know that you've got a very busy day, doctor, and I really thank you for your time. So uh, before you go, is there anything you'd like to shout out besides 7th uh, Generation Games? Where can people find you on the social media realm? Um, they can find me at Dr. Dr. Ann Maria. And I have a blog, drannmaria.blogspot.com. And they can also go to 7 Generation Games. That's the number 7, Generation Games. And I do a blog there on occasion. And there's also a 7 Gen Games Twitter account. And if they're really into statistics, I write a blog on statistics on things like calculating mortality rates and random things on statistical analysis with different types of software. And that's called Anne Maria's blog. And funny enough, that gets three times the visitors my judo blog does. <laughs> statistics, well, it's, it's, you know, like I will do things on statistics like the dependent variable in my multinomial logistic regression would be if you would go home with a guy from a bar and it, the, the categories could be yes, maybe if I was drunk and there's not enough alcohol in Texas. And then you could. So. So, yeah, actually, my statistics blog is pretty popular. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Once again, she is Dr. Anne Maria DeMars. She's the author of Winning on the Ground, which you can buy at Amazon.com. Click the link at the bottom of our Sucker Radio page. And, of course, the head of 7Gen Games and the mother of UFC bantamweight champion Ronda Rousey. Once again, thank you for your time, Doctor. You're very welcome. Wow. Now, this has been a fun episode. I want to thank Dr. Amaria DeMars and TJ DeSantis for taking the time out of their busy schedules to appear with us here on Sucker Radio at MMASucka.com. 
And I want to thank you for listening. If you need to get more news and analysis and opinion on the world of mixed martial arts, then MMASaka.com is the place to be. Check out our uh, blog from Craig McLean, who's going to be fighting on the upcoming Battlefield Fight League 35 card. He's going to be writing all through the lead-up to that fight, so check it out. And now I also want to give another shout-out to our lead sponsor, DraftKings.com. That's right, DraftKings.com, your number one home for daily fantasy sports. If you sign up and use the promo code MMASUCKA, M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A, when you do, you will get your first deposit doubled and free entry into your first game once you make that deposit. So that's right, you put in $2, they give you $2. You put in $50, they give you $50. You put in $600, that's the limit, up to $600, they will double your first deposit. So go to DraftKings.com and sign up for your daily fantasy sports, mixed martial arts, hockey, NBA, PGA. Who knows what else is coming down the pipe from DraftKings.com. But check it out and enter with that promo code MMASUCKA, M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A, when you sign up and get free entry and a doubling of your first deposit up to $600. Now, next week we should have Jeremy back. He will hopefully be recovered from his uh, super Ebola syphilo death virus or whatever it is that's keeping him down. But we wish him a speedy recovery. And of course, if you need to find me on social media, at Stormland Brand on Twitter, MMA, follow at MMA Sucka on Twitter, Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash MMASucka. And if you want to send Jeremy some get well soon wishes, hit him up on Twitter at JeremyBrand604. And with that, I'm out. In the world of mixed martial arts, I'm the evangelist spreading the news of MMA, the number one candidate. Calibrate levels of greatness as we collaborate. Mikey Ruckus, Jeremy Brand as we reactivate. Brand creates the show for the fans and it's magnanimous. Jury's out decision and the yes, it's unanimous. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show where you can stream online. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Out.